that a blessing. I, I, I encourage you really to pray uh, for these guys and girls and as you see them here and just reading uh, testimonies uh, of um, uh, really how God used uh, some youth group and youths of the past and there was always somebody praying. There was always somebody that had a burden. There was always somebody that uh, prayed uh, for those needs and lifted those things up to the Lord. Always somebody uh, praying on behalf of those that, uh, uh, that God would use them and that God would anoint them and empower them. And so I encourage you to pray and uh, pray that God would have his way in some hearts and some lives uh, there with the young people. Let's take our Bibles this evening to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, let's go to chapter number 14, Mark chapter number 14 uh, this evening. And you find your place if you would stand with me as we read together a portion of the Word of God this evening, Mark chapter 14. And uh, we're going to uh, pick up here kind of in the middle of the chapter. Um, we're not going to read as, as uh, far as we're going to be preaching tonight, but I want to catch the gist of our passage of Scripture. Mark chapter 14, uh, we're, we're going to begin here in verse number 43, Mark chapter 14, verse number 43. And immediately while he yet spake cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests, and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him, and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And verse number 47, And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. Now what we are going to, to deal with tonight is what we're going to call the night before the cross. It's the night before the cross. I said we're coming, coming to the end. And uh, it's the very next day after these events that we read about this night that Jesus will be crucified. But we're going to see some thoughts here uh, about this night and some of the events, the night before the cross. And I'd like you to join me. Let's go to the Lord uh, this evening in prayer. Let's ask the Lord for his help, his guidance here this evening. And we so need the Lord here tonight. Father, we thank you. Uh, just uh, how good you are, how gracious you are to us over and over and over. And that's so clearly revealed even as we look at this night before the cross. And Lord, the events that we examine tonight, I, I know that here in an audience this size and with a group this size, there, there are going to be some of the things that uh, took place that night that will speak to hearts, that will have its way in a heart. And I pray that you would minister at the point of need and and Lord, I thank you most of all becomes so clear as we look at this night how much you love man, despite man, despite the sin of man, and yet you love man. It becomes so clear. Lord, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And uh, Lord, we can't comprehend or understand. And yet, Lord, you do. You, you, you care for us. You love us. Would you have your way this evening? We give you the honor, the glory in Jesus' wonderful, precious name. Amen. And you may be seated this evening as we again look at the night before the cross. I want you to notice in verse number 46, 
Verse 46 says, they laid their hands on him and took him. And then if you look to verse number 48, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Now, we know that the, the last week of the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem brought us to this very, very event that we read about. Uh, this is his arrest, uh, his condemnation. Uh, this night, uh, the kangaroo trial basically is going to take place where already the outcome is determined uh, before it even began. You'll see that here this evening. Uh, we know that the Jewish leaders have been looking for an opportunity to condemn the Lord Jesus Christ. Their goal has been very clearly his death. And they would not be satisfied until he was gone. They were uh, jealous of him. They were filled with hatred uh, towards him, this one that so dearly loved them and that they were not content, uh, content until they condemned him. So we again read in verse 46, they laid their hands on him and took him. So much is revealed by that little statement. They laid their hands on him and they took him. Uh, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Uh, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Uh, we know in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is in the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And yet the Bible tells us that they laid hands on him and took him. This is the night before the cross. And in this night, we see a very clear revelation of man's sinfulness and we see a revelation of Christ's submissiveness. And then uh, just kind of trumping it all is a revelation of God's deep, deep love for mankind. Now, I, I want to just pick up and, and pull out some of these thoughts here. This revelation of man's sinfulness. So many hearts were revealed that very night. I, I want you to back up. And we've already preached through the life of Judas. But look in verse number 43. And we see here that night the sin of betrayal. And it's interesting in the Gospel of Mark, you, you read immediately or straightway. That's a, a term that is often used in the Gospel of Mark. And so uh, this term here, immediately, we know that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the Lord has, has spent time in prayer. His heart is very troubled uh, that night. He's encouraged uh, uh, Peter, James, and John to spend some time uh, praying, uh, lest they enter into temptation. They, they slept, and uh, the Bible tells us, now he, he has returned, he found them asleep, and, and then the third time he cometh, he said, sleep on, and then we read, immediately, immediately. While he had spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So we have here this, this sin of betrayal, Judas, and it's interesting here, one of the twelve. And so here's Judas, one of the twelve, one of the disciples, one of the ones that was so close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we spoke of him recently for three and a half years. He's been with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's witnessed the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's heard the teachings 
of Jesus. As he's been near Jesus, he's understood that there is no sin in the life of Jesus. Jesus lived the only perfect life that has ever been lived. Uh, these disciples witnessed firsthand. They've been with Jesus day and night, and there was absolutely nothing that they could say against the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Judas. And yet Judas conspired with the enemy. Uh, the act of betrayal. It's hard to comprehend. Uh, they uh, were led by Judas to this quiet spot in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would often uh, frequent with his disciples. And uh, there in the quiet and the stillness of the night as Jesus is praying, as Jesus is, is preparing for events, here comes Judas, one of the twelve. And then in verse number 45, uh, 44, excuse me, and he that betrayed him uh, had given them a token, uh, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was calm, he goeth straightway to him, saith, Master, Master, and he kissed him. Interestingly, he did not say, Lord, Lord. And he could not call him Lord at this time. He is Master. He speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know of this as the kiss of betrayal. You've heard the term the traitor's kiss, and this was where it would come from uh, in the example, the life of Judas Christ. Here's Judas, uh, uh, Judas uh, as he's pretending to be a friend to the Lord Jesus Christ, but uh, giving Jesus over to the enemy. And we know that uh, the Bible speaks it was out of covetousness. And as we preach through the life of Judas, we saw from John chapter 6 very clearly, uh, Judas, though he had been with Jesus Christ, had never been born again. Uh, Judas was not a true disciple. He was not a convert. He, he was a hypocrite. He was pretending to be something that he was not. You would think about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was not worthy of being betrayed. Nothing had Judah, Jesus done against Judas. And yet Judas, for covetousness, for 30 pieces of silver, uh, betrayed uh, the, the Lord and Savior. And do you think about Judas uh, and what was done to the Lord Jesus Christ? That night, Jesus identified with every other one that has ever been betrayed. And that's been the lot because of sinful man of multitudes through the ages. Uh, David, we know in Old Testament scriptures, betrayed by Ahithophel. And Ahithophel really became a type of uh, Judas Iscariot. Ahithophel in the Old Testament was a dear friend of David. And yet Ahithophel conspired with Absalom and joined the enemy against David in overthrowing the kingdom. Uh, we would know of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the husband whose wife ran away with another man, or vice versa, uh, that betrayal, that hurt, uh, and here is uh, Jesus identifying with that. Maybe the friend who uh, ripped off or was ripped off by one that he thought he could trust. They were uh, doing business together, and, and, and a friend uh, rips him off and steals from the company or steals from uh, from uh, one that he claimed to be his friend. Uh, betrayal, it hurts, it's deep. And, and yet Jesus Christ knew the deepest depths of betrayal that have ever been known. Uh, he had nothing. We all have sinfulness in our life, and we have things in our life uh, that uh, could condemn us with others, but not Jesus Christ. So there's the sin of betrayal. Uh, now we, we look in verse 43, and there's another sin that is revealed, and we have here a sin, or the sin of blind obedience. You notice in verse 43, and immediately, while he yet spake, come a Judas, one of the twelve, but notice here with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests 
and the scribes and the elders. We read in verse 46, and they laid their hands on him and took him. Now, I don't believe that this particular group carried the greatest guilt. I think that greatest of guilt would go to the chief priests and those that really knew who Jesus was but hated him such, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But we find of this multitude and these soldiers, they were simply following orders from higher authority. And I think it would be very clear as the events unfold this night that their hearts must have been pricked by the power and the innocency of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've always loved John chapter 18 that's describing this particular event. And as they came there in the garden that night, Jesus questioned them, whom seek ye? They responded, Jesus of Nazareth. He responded, I am he. And the Bible says in the Gospel of John chapter 18, they went backward and fell to the ground. And so you'll see in that very act that the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, very clear that he could have called legions of angels that night and been delivered from the hands of these soldiers. And we see that he yielded himself the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I believe here these soldiers, though the greatest guilt is not upon them, but in arresting Jesus, they played a part in the crime. They're involved in the crime. See, their blind obedience has been repeated through the ages. I think of Hitler's underlings. Uh, arrested innocent Jews and then guarding concentration camps and witnessing the deaths of many, yet taking no stand. You see, very similar. Uh, as we head towards uh, a world government and uh, many in leadership positions, yet under authority, uh, are being asked to arrest and condemn those that won't comply. Uh, in Canada, during this time of COVID, authorities were sent to arrest pastors who of all things were guilty for holding church services. And yet multitudes were sent to arrest them in obedience uh, to what God had told these pastors to do and yet arrested. And so there were those that uh, just joined in and they were guilty of blind obedience. In verse number 47, we have uh, Peter, we preach through Peter, but we have here the sin of carnal zealousness. It's revealed that night. And one of them that stood by drew a sword. We know from the Gospel of John, this is Peter. And smote a servant of the high priest. And we know that this was Malchus from the Gospel of John. And cut off his ear. And I've loved this particular story. You, you would think that that night this was, would have proved who Jesus was. Because here's the servant, here's Peter in zeal. Uh, takes off, and he must be a bad swordsman, a better fisherman than he was a swordsman, uh, but he cuts off the ear of this servant, and the Lord Jesus Christ takes that ear and simply places the ear back where it was, and I would think about Malchus years later. He must have thought about this. I wonder if it would challenge him to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, but that should have revealed uh, the Lord that night. Uh, but I point out to you Peter here tonight. Here, Peter. He had affirmed, you remember earlier, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Peter said to the Lord, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. And I think, I think Peter meant that from the depths of his heart. And I believe Peter was sincere. Uh, I don't think Peter knew his own sinfulness or his own heart, but I, I think as Peter pulls the sword out that night, he's ready to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's willing to die if that's what it took, or if that's what it took. But you know, as we see in the life of Peter, the, the work of Christianity 
is not the work of the flesh. And it's going to be impossible for Peter to deliver the Lord Jesus Christ with the sword. You remember the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And here's Peter fighting this battle with the carnal weapon of a sword when just before the Lord had asked him to pray with him that he entered not into temptation. Peter failed in the spiritual weapons and Peter failed to pray. He slept on and he missed the opportunity to fight in this war. I think about the, the testimony here, Peter, and it's revealed many a zealous soldier of the Lord has followed Peter's steps in trying to do the work of God in the power of the flesh. It's an impossibility. The work of God's a spiritual work. Uh, the work of winning souls is a spiritual work. Uh, the work of preaching and teaching, the work of a church is a spiritual work. And yet, I believe we so often fail like Peter because we pull the sword and we're trying to do the work of God in the power of human flesh. And it's an impossibility and it fails every time. I've said this over and over. I, I really believe we're entering some unique times in history. Uh, just very unique events happening over the last few years. And it seems uh, the further we go, the weirder it gets. A lot of weird things are happening right here in our nation, and not only our nation, but worldwide. Events, I believe, leading to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, I would just kind of give us a, a thought here from the life of Peter. Uh, we're really coming to a time in history when the arm of flesh is going to fail us. And we're going to have to fight this battle with spiritual weapons. And like Peter, we're going to need to spend some time in prayer with the Lord that we enter not into temptation. And we're going to need to seek the face of God and the power of God and the touch of God. As never before, unless like Peter, we enter into temptation and to find that that arm of flesh will fail us. So we have here the sin of uh, what we might call carnal zeal. Look with me in verse number 50. There's another sin that's revealed this night. And we would call this the sin of cowardice and compromise. In verse 50, and they all forsook him and fled. The sheep were scattered as was prophesied. They did not even realize they were fulfilling prophecy as they fled from the Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples were confused. They were scared. And then we have already mentioned uh, Peter in verse number 54. And Peter followed him afar off, even to the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. That's a very dangerous combination He's following, not close, but afar off. And then he sat with the servants, warmed himself, a dangerous combination of joining hands there with the enemy. And we know that night that Peter, of course, denied the Lord three times. And many a servant of the Lord has followed the steps of Peter. And it's been the same results. You follow the Lord afar off and you join hands with the enemy. Uh, it's not long you're doing what Peter did, even cursing and uh, joining the crowd. And uh, you think about Peter his speech betrayed him, that he had been with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, to betray that speech, he cursed that he did not even know the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have here the sin of cowardice uh, that was revealed that night. But I, I think as we read on through this, this becomes the heart of humanity. And it is so clearly manifest this night's. 
before the cross. What we see is the sin of hatred. What led the religious leaders to arrest Jesus? Here he has created them. He's coming to his own. His own received him not. Why would they seek to arrest Jesus? Why would they seek to kill Jesus? It's evident they despised him. It's evident they hated him. In verse number 55, it says in the chief priests and all the counselors, Jesus is now arrested. He's brought before the council, the chief priests, all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. It's clear that their minds were already determined. This was a kangaroo trial. They'd already determined they would put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. So now they're looking for witnesses to condemn him. The word of God says they, they found none. And in verse 56, for many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. Within three days, I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. So as witnesses are sought, they could not find uh, two witnesses that would agree together. And in Old Testament law, there had to be two to three witnesses to condemn one. They could not find such because, of course, we know in the Lord Jesus Christ, there was no guilt, no shame. Uh, he had nothing which could be condemned. In verse 60, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? Uh, Jesus would not answer. Answer not a fool according to his folly. He would be as the sheep going to the slaughter uh, with his mouth shut. They gave Jesus no opportunity to defend himself. And anything that Jesus spoke uh, was going to be used against him. That's very clear and manifest. I like verse 61, and there's a statement here in 61 and 62. But he held his peace. It matches up with Isaiah 53. And he answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And you'll notice the response of Jesus. Jesus said, I am. I am. Uh, of course, we, we understand that's deity. Before Abraham was, I am. Moses questioned, Lord, when I go to the children of Israel, who will I tell them sent me? You tell them I am that I am. I am, Jesus said, the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. We read, I am the resurrection and the life. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in clouds of heaven. If you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse number 7, and uh, you'll see the, the clear testimony of this, the Lord Jesus Christ, Revelation chapter 1. 
And verse number 7, Behold, he, Jesus, cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. Now, I, I see a lot of things happening in the world today. It's uh, very evident that the world does not want the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of the craziness of our world, and as our world heads toward the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's as if the Lord has been crucified over and over and over again. The world hates him just as the chief priests hated the Lord Jesus Christ. And the world looks for opportunity to condemn the Lord Jesus. And yet the Lord says, he's coming back again. He's coming to the clouds. And every eye will see him. In verse number 63, Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? Uh, you've heard the blasphemy. What think ye? Now, he understood this, uh, and this was often the issue uh, with the chief priests and with the religious leaders. Uh, the blasphemy that Jesus, being a man, made himself God. Uh, that's very clear in the scripture. Uh, you've heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Him who had no guilt, him who had no shame, he who spoke only the truth, they all condemned him to death. You'll find that generally what the crowd does is the opposite of God's way. And when you find the crowd going one direction, uh, almost always if you'll find the other side of it, you'll be where you ought to be. And here's the crowd, and here's the trial that has taken place. They've all condemned him at this point to die, and some began to spit on him. Imagine this, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe, the Creator of all. Some began to spit on him, to cover his face, to buffet him, to say unto him, prophesy. The servants did strike him with the palms of their hand. This was their intent all along, to condemn him. He did nothing worthy of death, spoke only the truth, but they hated the truth. The next morning, he would be crucified. What a revelation of the wicked heart of man. Man is sinful to the very core. The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is hard. As fat as grease, the Bible describes it. The heart is the core of all evil. And this heart is being revealed that night. And through the ages, the servants of God have been hated just as was Christ and condemned just as was Christ. And as you read the story of martyrs, this is often their story, very similarly to that of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read the accounts of martyrs that were called before their accusers. And like Jesus, they were falsely accused. And like Jesus, when they spoke a word, their words were used against them, though they spoke the truth. Many were burned at the stakes, martyred and killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, often without reason or opportunity for their defense, evidence of Ben's sinful heart. It's what Jesus said in John 15. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. And Jesus said in John 18 verse 23, or John 20. Uh, 15 verse 23, 
He that hateth me hateth my father also. Now what I see this night before the cross is the revelation of man's sinfulness. Man's sinful to the very core. But secondly, as I look at this night before the cross, I see a revelation of Christ's submission. Now, here the Lord Jesus Christ has said uh, many times, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. In Philippians 2, verse number 8, we read that he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Uh, just prior to being arrested, Jesus prayed in the garden, Luke chapter 22, verse 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Isaiah 53, verse number 7, speaks of Jesus Christ. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is abroad as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before the shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. Now the night before the cross revealed that submissive spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about this. Before that night, Jesus already knew that Judas would betray him. He spoke of that in John chapter 6, for Judas was not saved. And yet the Lord allowed it. He knew that night, in fact, he sent Judas out to conspire against him with the religious leaders. He allowed it. He knew that night when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane that he would be arrested. And he knew that night in the garden his heart was troubled, and the Bible says he sweated as it were drops of blood, and he prayed that night as he sweated, as he was troubled, as he was broken that night, yet he didn't seek to escape. In fact, he knew when he entered into Jerusalem that final week, that that week would lead to his condemnation and his death. When soldiers came that night to arrest him, he could easily have escaped. And you can read many times prior to this that they sought to slay Jesus because of blasphemy. And he walked out of their midst because it was not his time yet. That night, he yielded and he went with them. When the Sanhedrin wickedly condemned him to die, when they spat upon him, when they mocked him that night, he could have destroyed them. Yet, as Isaiah says, he opened not his mouth. And he went willingly as a sheep to the slaughter. It's evident over and over that they did not take Jesus and his life. He yielded his life. He gave his life. He submitted himself to the cross. And I think this becomes very clear that that night before the cross, we have a revelation of his submissive spirit, his submission to the will of the Father. Have a revelation of man's sinfulness, a revelation of Christ's submission. But I want to give the heart, I think, of what we gain from that night. And if you get nothing else from this message, I want you to grab this third thought tonight. Because this night before the cross is a tremendous revelation of God's love. Why did it have to be such? Think about this. Man's sinful to the core, to the very core. 
the hatred, the spite, the wickedness of man. That night proved it. But why did the father let the son fall into the hands of wicked men? Why did it have to be such? Why did that night the father not intervene? Why did he not rescue the son? Why did he allow the son to go to that condemnation and eventually to the cross? I think it's a revelation of the greatest love that's ever been known in the heart of the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, what does it say? That he gave, that he gave, that he gave. His only begotten son, that night it's clear that the father gave the son. It was the father that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He spoke those on three different occasions. But the Father gave the Son because He loved us. And we might wrap that thought up with Romans 5, verse number 8, where it says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. See, that was the love. And so that night it's revealed that we did not earn or deserve that love. We earned condemnation because the heart of hatred, the heart of, uh, of uh, jealousy, the, the heart, every, we've been guilty of every one of those sins revealed that night. And yet the Father just loved us. He gave His Son for us. He yielded His Son to die for us. Because there was no other way. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so it must be, and from the foundation of the world, God gave His Son, the Lamb of God, that would go to the cross and die for us. See, that night revealed the love of God, the love for Judas that betrayed him, uh, the soldiers that arrested him, for the disciples that fled from him, for Peter that denied him, for the religious leaders that hated him and condemned him. That's a love beyond comprehension. And that love carried him on to the cross. That night before the cross, I think it revealed man's sinfulness. It revealed Christ's submission, but it revealed at the heart of it all God's deep love for man. Now as we move forward the next day and through the kangaroo trial, again, I believe at any point Jesus could have called for the legions of angels. He created them. He could have called for them to his rescue, but he chose rather to submit that we might be saved, that we might be bought and purchased with his blood. I'd like with that thought tonight, may we go to the Lord in prayer.